Good morning, church. Good morning. Welcome. Happy Father's Day to our fathers out there. Would you stand to your feet? Let's begin our time of worship together, reading God's word to each other. We're going to read two verses from Isaiah 63. We're going to read verse 7 and then verse 16. So it'll be on the screen. Let's, let's read this out loud together. I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all the Lord has done for us, even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love. And then verse 16, you are our father, even though Abraham does not know us and Israel doesn't recognize us, you, Lord, are our father. Your name is our redeemer from ancient times. And we have in our Heavenly Father the greatest example of fatherhood that there could be. And so let's sing together of the greatness of our God. Will rejoice. 
and works of wicked men you finally destroy. Your power will propane till Christ descends, and you will reign forever without end. How great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. How great is the Lord our God. How great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And greatly to be praised. He is great and greatly to be praised. Amen. And we can trust him to lead us. We can trust him to love us. And so let's rejoice together in knowing that we have a God who loves us. Come and stand before your maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold his power and glory, and with confidence draw near. For the one who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love. Rejoice! Come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of all praise. Rejoice! Sing the mercies of your King. children of the promise, the beloved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness, one with sacrificial blood, bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the affections of a father who will never let them go. Rejoice! Come and lift your hands and raise your voice he is worthy of all praise rejoice sing a mercy of your king and with trembling rejoice all our sickness all our sorrow jesus carried up the hill he has walked this path before us he is walking with us still Turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise. Peter's blessing in the battle, so take heart and stand amazed. Rejoice when you cry to him, he hears your voice. He will wipe away your tears. Rejoice in the midst of suffering.
Amen. Amen. Thank you for singing. You may be seated. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. Welcome to our guests today. We are glad that you've come and chose Hebrew Baptist Church to worship this morning as we exist to glorify God by taking our next steps in Christ. And we want to help you do that. We want to glorify God as our step this morning. We invite you in the next step into a life group or to a D group. But we want to equip you and encourage you in your walk and your faith that wherever you are, that you continue to grow in the Lord. So we're glad that you you're here this morning as we worship the Lord together. Uh, today is a special day, and so uh, it is our custom on Mother's Day and then now Father's Day that we honor the fathers who are here. Uh, I will tell you, there is something wonderful about Hebrew Baptist Church. We have wonderful women uh, who are wonderful godly mothers, but we have a lot of godly fathers here that encourage me and as being a better father and I know that I am encouraged by them. And so today, if you are a father, would you stand that we could recognize you this morning? We are so thankful for you. You can be seated. We're so grateful for you. We're going to pray for you in just a moment, but we want to honor a couple of special fathers in our midst today, and so uh, we we do this regularly, and so we uh, we don't know what we're going to get. So for mothers, I kind of knew some of the answers, so coming into Father's Day, I don't know the answer to some of these, so let me, let me just try this. If you have had, we're going to honor our newest father uh, this morning, so if you've had a child in the last two years, would you stand up? I think I actually know who's going to win this now. How old's your littlest one, Patrick? Eight and a half months. Eight and a half months. What a wonderful blessing. We're so grateful for the blessings that they gave the ship family, and so we're grateful for that. Now, how about our oldest father? So we're going to fast forward this one a little bit. If you're 85 or above and you're a father, would you stand up? 85 and above. Will you actually acknowledge this? Well, I kind of figured this was who was going to be the winner anyways, but Gene, how old are you? 93. He's just a whippersnapper. Gene's just getting started at 93. He's a whippersnapper. Well, we're so grateful for that. Now, let's honor the one, the father who has the most children, okay? The most children. Stand if you have five children or more. Okay. How many? Five. Oh, well, that's what? Good, we got a tie. We have an extra one. <laughs> there we go. Wonderful. Praise God. Now, if we tie, I'm going to have to owe you one because I've run out of my tie ones now. But uh, DeRay's the other one. I don't know if you got to see. Uh, grandchildren. Now, some of you might have to count on your toes. Or use somebody else's. Well, don't use somebody else's toes. You might have to borrow their fingers. If you have, uh, let's go 
15 or more grandkids stand up. 15 or more, that's a lot. Maybe I raised the bar too high on that one. 15 or more, all right. 12 or more. Oh, 10 or more. Nine or more? All right, let's back up. Five or more grandkids. Five or more grandkids. All right, now I can. Now we're going to get busy. All right, how many? How many? Five? Six. All right, look, we got a tie. All right, so give, Al, I will owe you. You take this back to our brother back there, and I will owe you. Or, as Derek told me this morning, they're giving free Chick-fil-A today for Father's Day. So you can maybe go over there and take care of that. All right. Well, let's pray. It's closed, guys, okay? That's the joke. Come on. Keep up with me. All right. Okay. Let's pray together. Let's thank God for the blessings of fathers. And I, I admit, I know that some of you are your father today or grandfather and so I know this is difficult some of you never had a father figure in your life and I know that this might open some thoughts or wounds that you had in your heart but I bet your testimony is you have a wonderful heavenly father who has been with you all the way and so we know that God is someone that needs to be praised this morning so let's pray to the Lord thank him for loving us and let's thank him for fathers. Heavenly Father, thank you so much this morning that you love us in a way that only you can. And as Mark has reminded us this morning, God, you have presented yourself as a loving father to us. Though we don't deserve it, though we've never earned it and can't earn it, you have given your son so that you might be our heavenly father. So Lord, thank you for being that father to us in, in, uh, in many ways in our life. Lord, I pray that as we have honored fathers today, we are thankful, we are blessed beyond measure by the godly men here at Hebron Baptist Church. Men who see their role as leading in the home. Men who see their role as leading in the church. Men who love their families and love their wives as Christ loved themselves, loved himself the church and lord we are thankful how god you have allowed us to come and worship together as your people to give you the praise that we deserve that you deserve and so lord we come to you and worship you as father and lord we pray for the fathers and families here to continue to be focused on your son jesus christ that you may grow them in their faith and grow them in christ's likeness I pray, Lord, that you would make that today, though we set aside as Father, we would not be distracted by the activities today, but instead be focused on your glory. And Lord, I pray that you would continually remind us of the gospel, that we, maybe this week we've sinned or we've fallen away or fallen short. We're thankful that you meet us as a prodigal father, one who loves us, lavishly even though when we sin because of your son Jesus Christ I pray that you would be with us in Jesus name amen part of this 
passage will be familiar to us, but I was looking at the records, and we haven't read it together in a really long time. So uh, as, you, as you're seated, uh, be encouraged by this word from John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoid it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. We have a heavenly Father who has demonstrated his love for us in Christ. Would you stand to your feet and let's sing together of the depth of the Father's love for us.
Well, good morning. We are going through the uh, Psalms of Summer or God's Mixtape. We're going to look through some Psalms this summer, and today we're going to look at Psalm 78. So if you want to turn there to Psalm 78, it's page 514 in the Pew Bible that's in front of you. And uh, we hope that you would go there as we look at different aspects and avenues of God. Last week, we learned how God's word, how God speaks to us and has spoken to us. And today, we're going to look at how uh, he is the God who fathers, the God who fathers. So let me read and you join and following along in verse one. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will declare wise sayings, and I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our fathers passed down to us. We will not hide them from our, their children, but will tell future generations the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children, so they might put their confidence in God, and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose father was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have given your complete word to us. We know that every, every word, every jot and tittle, every piece of it is perfect without error. And because you have spoken, as we learned last week, as we acknowledge you have specifically revealed yourself as well as your ways and teachings, we therefore acknowledge that you have a word for us today. And God, we pray as we listen, we learn, we are changed and transformed that we know by the Spirit you will make us new. Today is another day as we gather in your name. We pray that we will never be the same again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over time, trees can be damaged. They can be damaged by insects, by, uh, by nature itself. And what the Lord has allowed for trees to do is to heal themselves. They compartmentalize that, that uh, injury or whatever is wrong and begins to, to grow over. And in time, new bark and new, new thing comes over it. And it gets buried after a while. But after a while, if you were to take a tree and we were to get wood, and any of you are, uh, who work with wood know that when you, it is milled and it is grown, you can see within that wood past damage. And some might say, oh, that's worthless or that's not good, but in the hands of a skilled crafter, those damaged parts can become beautiful that they can become wonderful pieces within a carpenter's hand, that within that, that uh, those different imperfections can now be shown into beautiful pieces of wood. 
It's the very same way that the Lord fathers us. And he molds us and shapes us with our idiosyncrasies, our personalities, our sins, our flaws. As we mature in his hands, they create a beautiful piece of art. God, as a father, he wants to mold us and make us and mold us in a way that shows his handiwork in our lives, to mature us in a way that shows his work in our lives. And God, the Father, helps us to see and wants us to know that he cares and wants us to mature. In this psalm, we see that this is what God does through us, but what we should be doing as well to the next generation whether we are man or woman God is fathering us and molding us and maturing us and in the same way he is calling us to the next generation of Christians to pass down his name his glory his works his word and in the first eight verses of the psalm introduce the rest explaining the teaching to be rehearsed to, from the rising generations to avoid judgment that fell on previous generations. There are four instances of the term generation in these first eight verses and three instances of the word father. And Asaph, the one who penned this, this psalm, is setting the stage for reminding this generation to be reminded it must father, mold, and make the next generation into God's handiwork. Now we know that God has called men and fathers to do this work, but this is not just a psalm to fathers. This is a psalm for fathers and grandfathers and the church to make sure that we are fathering the next generation in knowledge of God, just like God has fathered us in previous generations. Psalm 78 is a reminder that we need to lead our children to know and trust God. You know, I pray specifically for my boys that they might be raised and grow to trust in God. I pray specifically for my daughter that she would become the woman that God wants her to be. I pray for their future spouses. I pray for them that the Lord would have them know God and be grown closer to them and that it's this type of praying every generation for your children and other people's children in the church the question is for all of God's people how will we pass the gospel on to the next generation we have been commissioned to make disciples not just of all nations, but among every generation. And God molds us in the way that we should mold future generations. And when I look at these two, excuse me, these eight verses, first eight verses of 78, there are two ways that God fathers us in growing us in spiritual maturity that we should also father the next generation. The first thing that we see, Asaph declares uh, that he is going to speak 
a proverb or in the CSB wise sayings or in the ESV a parable that he will pour out riddles from old in the CSB it says mysteries from the past in the ESV dark sayings of old what is he saying well he's saying that he's going to use a parable now some cultures and maybe even in this culture they would say a parable is something that is fictitious or something that is that is made up but we saw that Jesus used parables here again Asaph is using a parable it is using a story along something else so that we might see a comparison to grow in truth and in this case Asaph is using the story of past generations of Israel alongside today so that we might be warned to avoid past sins so number one we need to understand that God desires to mold us by teaching us letter a who he is who he is first God wants us to understand who he is Asaph states that God has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed the law in Israel what does the law say there is no God but the one true God that there is only one God that in this the true God is the great I am this is the one and true God who has created the heavens and the earth and the one in whom we belong it is the same approach that we must understand that is mandated by the Bible's earliest books that God told Moses that he hardened this is in Exodus chapter 10 that he hardened Pharaoh's heart telling you uh, that you may tell in the hearing to your son and your grandson that you know that I am the Lord this is what God is there he is a jealous God who is jealous for his name that wants his name to be praised over the whole face of the earth and he wants everyone to know that he is the true God and that he has the right and owns us all how many of you had your moms write your name or or your um a brief like your your initials in your clothes when you were children did any of y'all raise a hand some of you okay five of you did wonderful okay uh, great illustration i'm using uh when you're a ch child you know that you can't keep up with your clothes and so so moms will put a name or or a or an initial so that if you go over to spend the night with a friend or if you're uh, you know if you uh, around the house if you have several kids you know whose is who so kids don't fight over whose is who and, and all these different things and I don't know why my mom did this but she initialed our underwear and um, which I don't know why because if I see underwear I'm not returning it to somebody who I don't know but but anyways it was to to keep those clothes to say these belong to this person friends God wants us to know who he is so that we know we belong to him and the names that God wants us to a stamp on the heart of our own hearts but the hearts of the generations to come is that he is the God of the universe who created us and loves us and we belong to him. 
So therefore, in our own lives, we need to be telling each other that he is God and he must be glorified and he is the one true God and we belong to him. And friends, we need to do that to adults as each other because we are quickly forget whose we are. But we must specifically to the next generation, to our children and grandchildren, that everything begins with God, that he is supreme creator, sustainer, and ruler of all, and he alone is supreme. We don't just teach him rules to obey or rituals to follow. We teach him that there is a God that he wants to have a relationship with us and that he loves us and that we should want to know him. God molds us, desires to mold us by teaching us, letter B, what he has done. What he has done, verse 7 it says, so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works. See, God is not just instructing us on who he is, but also what he has done. Here in the first couple of verses, God is, uh, the Asaph is speaking to the, gen the generations of the past and what God has done, specifically what God has clearly done in the generation of the Exodus. The purpose of the Passover meal and setting it as a regular ritual was to teach the next generation what God had done and bring them out of slavery into freedom and to worship with him that every generation would be reminded that God had saved them through the spilling, spilling of a lamb that through that wonderful miracle of plagues, through the crossing of the sea, through keeping them in the wilderness, that God is faithful and that God has done great works and that God will continue to be faithful. Realizing this principle, Christians will see it their duty to teach the Bible to the generation that follows. Deuteronomy 6, 20-21 says, When your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees and statutes and ordinances of the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. It is very clear that in the Old Testament that, we, that they continue the stories and the works of the hands of God. And the text points out that biblical religion, both Old and New Testament, is based on history. That is, what the great saving works that God has done. Christianity is not abstract ethics or even religion. It's rather Christianity proclaiming what God has done for salvation and for life. Through all of time, the Old Testament and New Testament is showing the great redemptive works of God and it follows the New Testament that life, death, and resurrection of Jesus God's Son and Savior is how we are restored to God. It is a fact, a point in history that we believe that God was at work and we trust and believe in it. It is not possible for us to be a Christian at all without knowing and believing what God has done in the coming of Jesus. 
It is virtually impossible to be a strong and thriving Christian without an intimate awareness of the Old Testament and its records of divine works and anticipation and eventuality of the coming of Christ. Great J. Gresham Machen, which I learned to say correctly after listening to a podcast this week, Machen says, From the beginning, the Christian gospel consisted of an account of something that had happened. And from the beginning, the meaning of the happening was set forth. And when the meaning of the happening was set forth, then there was a Christian doctrine. Christ died. That is history. Christ died for our sins. That is doctrine. Without these two elements, join an absolute indissoluble union, there is no Christianity. Brothers and sisters, we are set to set forth to the next generation what God has done and why it's important. Why do we pass stories? Don't you have family stories that you pass along? Some of them very humorous, some that are embarrassing, but often they are the things that make your family who they are and how great they are that you want to pass to the next generation. How much more, friends, should we pass the story of God to each generation that we can say of his mighty works and the hands of God that he sent his son to die for us and in him there is salvation. Brothers and sisters, we must proclaim the mighty works of God and God molds us in reminding us what he has done but he also molds us by teaching us let us see what he has said the psalmist mentions God's law in verse 5 and his commands in verse 7 we should make this book the center of our lives the instruction that we receive and the instruction that we give he explains in 78 verse 7 that this was so that coming generations might hope in God. And we'll talk in that in just a minute. And if the purpose stated in 78 7 is achieved, then what comes will happen later that we will obey. Here, Yahweh is saying to all generations, both in the past, warning, hey, previous generations did not listen to my instructions, but you need to pass on to next generations so that they may follow me. Biblical illiteracy is a problem in Christianity, in our Christians, in our churches. A late night show pointed out the ignorance of the Bible that is in Americans by asking the audience, can you name four people in the New Testament not named Jesus? And they were struggling and they started to, he started to prime the pump a little bit. And he started to say, okay, Paul, nothing. John, after a second, somebody immediately raised their hand and said, George and Ringo. No, that's not, they're not Bible, that's the, the Beatles. You see, biblical illiteracy is a problem. And biblical illiteracy makes weak Christians and weak churches. Why do we have an upside-down culture? Well, we're very busy pointing 
our fingers out to secular non-believers but brothers and sisters we have to point the fingers to ourselves as well Christians in the American church have stopped believing the Bible is sufficient for many generations and often do not use the Bible as the center for faith and practice as we are prescribed to do we worry about the the outgoings of the sexual revolution now but we gave up that goat many years ago as the church we don't stand on God's word this book as God has molding us should be the primary book of instruction for our life for our church and on our home it should trump every other book that we own or have or know of or read if we know that God has spoken as we talked last week then we know this must be important for us and it must be important for us to tell our children and our grandchildren far more important than how to teaching them to throw a ball or to play a sport or to do any other subject in school we need to teach them the word of God because it's the only thing that will last if we know these things is how God is molding us, then it must challenge us to teach others. And in verse 7, we see this threefold cord of faith as a personal trust informed by humble thinking and an obedient will, which shows us, number two, God teaches us in order to transform us. Letter A, that we will know Him in our minds. God is molding us with other believers and with his word and with the knowledge of him so that we will know him in our minds. Verse 6, so that they will know. So that they will know. God desires to us to know him personally, to know him deeply, to know that by truly trusting him by faith and having a personal relationship with him. Asaph is concerned that by knowing the Bible, his readers will not forsake God and abandon their faith. Asaph is saying this is what happened before. This is what is happening in Israel now. That they are bowing to idols. They are they are bowing to other gods in, in apostasy and he is saying to us that God has entrusted us with his truth that we might know him in our minds and we might know him that we might pass it to future generations that they will not abandon the faith that they will know the true word as Jude 3 says, Dear friends, although I am eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I find it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints once for all. Brothers and sisters, it has been given to the saints, passed down to generation to generation, that we know who God is that we know him in our minds and that we understand him that we want our children and our homes and our churches to know God deeply we want our teenagers to have intimate knowledge of who God is amid all the world's awards and scholarships so that at the end of their lives they care less about how the world gives them certificates and trophies and how much God thinks of them 
we want them to know God truly in their minds. Christianity is a, is a, is a faith that is of the mind, that we can know God, that we can understand his word, that we can understand his doctrine, and that the world can put out so many false theories and they can all be rejected by the Bible's truth. Our faith cannot be shaken by new understandings because ours is an ancient faith, one that will stand forever and that we can know God truly. He also wants to teach us in order to transform us so that we will trust him in our hearts. Verse 7 says that they might put confidence, their confidence in God. Verse 7, the psalmist wants the knowledge of God not just to stop in their heads, but to travel to their hearts. That God has given us his word not to win biblical trivial pursuit but the word would transform our hearts and that we would trust God with our hearts it's an unusual word that is employed here in the Hebrew it's the same trust word for foolishness or absurdity in the other way the probably the meaningness of this word is to stubbornly or foolishly hold on to God Beyond all the world's competitions and understandings of the world, we don't want to be like Job's stupid friends. We want to be like Job who trusts in God. Probably the idea of this is helping us to understand that we would know and trust God in all of our hearts. Regularly, Sarah, Sarah and I battle often to say, oh, with worry how is this going to happen how is this going to happen and how do we always combat that worry we look at what God has done in the past and we trust him we know that God's going to take care of us that he has always been faithful and he will continue to be faithful brother and sister that's why we rehearse these stories so that in our hearts we will trust him bind our lives to him that we will trust him with about out abandon that we will tell stories so that children might believe that god is trustworthy and put their trust in him we want to trust god to satisfy them which involves turning aside from pleasures of the world because they have found greater treasure in god as God is working in us in this way to transform our hearts that we might trust in him, so too we might trust God, the, other, the next generation to trust him as well. That means regularly having gospel conversations with your children. That means telling them about how faith and trust in God and Jesus saves. To rehearse for them how God has answered prayer. You know, talk about that. Talk about how you know that God has answered prayer and rehearse that before them so that they might see God is real to you and that God is real and can be trusted. We need to pass on a trust in God and then the next generation. We also know that we must, God teaches us in order to transform us so that he, we will obey him in our lives. 
verse 7 and 8 so they might put confidence in God and not forget God's works but keep his commands then they would not be like their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God the psalmist was saying that he doesn't want this generation to be like the last that biblical doctrine is immensely practical leading to a lifestyle that cheerfully obeys God's word out of the great hope that is born in his saving deeds think of the the logic here in verse 7 that they would put their confidence in God in what in what he has done through his mighty works that their hearts would be transformed to keep his commands if God is who he says he is and God has done what we know he has done then we must follow in faithful obedience God in his word is teaching us and molding us that we might obey him that we realize that when we are transformed by all of this that God's law is the way of love a love of God and love of man that it will become less onerous to refrain from hatred and lust and theft and false speech and discontent because we know we are pleasing God Psalm 119.1 which is all about the scriptures says how happy are those whose way is blameless who walk according to the Lord's instruction God is molding our hearts transforming our hearts from a way of onerous obedience in other words to say because I have to to because I want to because I know that the way of obedience in God pleases him but it's the way of joy it's the way of life it is the way to thrive it is the way of love and this is why we as we must teach ourselves and be allowed to mold to obey God's word that is why we as a church are committed to faithful discipleship to getting you in smaller groups to have one another continue to push us to obey to know that our hearts wander regularly and that we need each other to continue to press us to obey that is why we as parents one of our most important roles is to teach our children to obey when we have been given that instruction specifically as fathers to do this role but as mothers and fathers that we are teaching them to obey early on consequences when they don't obey regularly consequences so that they would learn what obedience is like that the obedience is for their good so that when they hear someone say stop stop they will stop so that they don't run into traffic that they will hear the word no because they're not putting a knife into a socket so that they don't kill themselves obedience is a way of life obedience is staying in the protection of God and when we are teaching our children and the next generation obedience we're also teaching them how to listen and obey God
Friends, we would quickly say there's often times we don't obey God. There are often times that we go with our feelings and how we might think things are. Friends, God has said that he is instructing us to obey him. And ultimately, we want to teach the next generation to obey God so that we, they might have joy, success, and live his ways which lead to life. Well, maybe as you think through this, you say, I would have loved to have had a father mold me in this way. I wish that I'd had someone in my life come alongside of me and mold me in this way. That, that is why I, I believe the Bible has given us and shown us the importance of the local church. That we have godly men that can father others who are not their own. That God has fathered us through his word. And that maybe you have come here today and that you don't feel as though as God is your father, well, maybe the first thing that you should do today is trust in his son. Because God knows your sin, knows you're unworthy, knows you're a disobedient child, knows you're rebellious, knows all of these things, and yet God gave his only begotten son as payment for your sins so that as he was rejected you could be brought in and receive a heavenly father and become a child of God friend trust in God in Christ Jesus today and receive an eternal father an eternal family one that you know that you are forgiven that you through repentance and faith may receive the love of God that he wants to give. But today, how might the Father want to be molding and shaping you, brother and sister in Christ? In what way should you be responding to the word? How should you be molded in knowing God greater, in rehearsing his works, in obedience brother sister reach out to a pastor reach out to a Christian friend reach out to your life group or D group and say come alongside me and help me as the father molds me And maybe even right now you know there's a place that the Lord wants to mature you friends remember the illustration at the beginning God wants to mold you into a fine work of his hands he wants to mature you and mold you. Today, will you allow him? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder that, that you father us and love us and want to mature us and grow us. Thank you, Lord, for the instructions and the challenge that we must receive, but also that we must do for the next generation. God, I pray that Hebron Baptist is a church committed to raising fathers, raising mothers, raising grandparents, committed to pouring their lives 
and to passing on the faith to the next generation. That we would spend time and ample energy and focus as a church volunteering and teaching the next generation about Christ. And may we be about a faith, understanding, being thankful that God is molding us. May we allow it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet and let's sing together of the great faithfulness that, we, that God has shown to us. Oh! 
this video from our partner in London. Church in the afternoon, 
and we'll think about ministries that maybe look a little bit different and at a different time uh, to what's going on so that we can work in partnership um, with good works and our prayer is that as as that happens as new gospel access is created then that as people are disciple that will grow into uh, more churches why well I'm sure you're all aware of this in Rawton there's about 10,000 people there's probably in excess of 9,700 people, maybe more, uh, that do not know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And across Swindon, there's probably in excess of 200,000 people that do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Swindon is the third fastest growing town in the UK at the moment, and it's expected to grow by 20% in the next 15 years. And if there's no kingdom advance, then that means there'll be over 250,000 people uh, lost and without a hope. And I know that as believers, well, that breaks our hearts. Well, that's just a part of uh, Carl Porter, who is our partner in Swindon and Rotten. And so we're going to be learning more about him and what their ministry is the next couple of weeks. But we pray for them. And so that was just a snapshot of what God is doing through their ministry over there. And uh, pray for uh, the family, pray for the Lord as they reach people and start a church. Uh, we're excited about what they're doing, and we're so grateful for them. You've probably met, some of you have met him and met their family, and, and he's led us in evangelism training and different things, and so uh, as he's doing that gospel work, let's pray for them. Guests, we're glad that you are here this morning. We hope that you uh, would come back and that you would feel welcomed. If this is your first time with us today, please make sure that you fill out a Connect card that's in the pew in front of you. Uh, fill that out and go to the Next Steps desk, which is through the double doors to the immediate left, and there's a gift waiting for you if this is your first time with us today. And we hope that uh, you come back and take the next step and maybe even go on a mission trip to London one day uh, as we help and partner uh, with the porters uh, there. But we hope that you would come and be a part of our family of faith. A couple quick, quick announcements. Uh, this week is uh, the week before uh, Bible school. And so all week, every day, starting at 6 o'clock, there will be people here at the church transforming it in and getting ready for vacation Bible school. So if you can spare an hour or two hours, a couple of nights this week, or just even one night this week, come and help people as they get the, the church ready uh, for over 150 kids probably or so that will be coming to our vacation Bible school. So we hope that you will come. Praise the Lord. You all have responded, and Christy has the volunteers that she needs so that's a big praise God for all of you all in doing that. And uh, this is a big job. We're all in together for Vacation Bible School, and we're glad to hear it. And then next week, following church, there will be a God's and other volunteers. Uh, uh, there's a brief meeting, so try to be here. This will be a good time to also pray together. So come next Sunday uh, and then stay for a brief meeting. And we'll be geared up for the next week of Vacation Bible School. Now we've worshipped through song and through the word. We want to worship as we give. And so let me pray for our giving today uh, as uh, our ushers come. Heavenly Father, we are thankful uh, for partners like uh, the porters. And we are thankful for those who already faithfully give of their tithe and offerings to our church that we might support a partner like Carl and his family 
through the Acts 1-8 fund. We're thankful for the work they are doing. We're thankful that we might next year send a team out to support them in London. And so, Lord, we pray that as we uh, uh, give, know that this giving is a worldwide impact and it's in reaction and obedience to you. So, Lord, as we give, whether it's electronically or in place and in person today, that, Lord, you would bless the gift and the giver. In Jesus' name, amen. Not 
Lord, I say, oh, we have a great salvation in His name. Christ alone, the life, the truth, the way. Christ alone, the life, the truth, the way. Christ alone, the life, the truth, the way. Amen. Y'all have a great week.